in the year 2019, we shouldn't have to choose between where we live and taking a job that requires us to send email. Welcome to episode 356 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. This week, State Senator Breanne Davis joins us to discuss changes in the law in her home state of Arkansas. Earlier this year, we reported about a bill that she and several other women lawmakers introduced to lift state restrictions on municipal broadband. After a couple of amendments, the bill passed, and while it doesn't remove all barriers in Arkansas, it is a small step toward local authority for better connectivity. In this interview, Senator Davis describes how she and the other authors of the bill chose broadband as an issue that needed their attention. She discusses how they refined the bill to allow local communities to access federal grant funding. Lawmakers in the state of Arkansas have run out of patience waiting for large ISPs to make good on the promise to deliver rural broadband after taking so many subsidies over the years. You can read more about the specifics of Senate Bill 150 at muninetworks.org to discover how and why state lawmakers decided to make the change. Now let's hear from Brianne Davis, state senator from Arkansas. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Senator Brianne Davis from Arkansas about a very interesting uh, bill that made its way through that, that Senator Davis sponsored, uh, dealing with municipal broadband questions. So welcome to the show, Senator. Hi, thank you. I'm happy to be on. I wonder if you maybe just start by giving us a sense of um, what is broadband like in the area you represent and even more largely uh, across Arkansas for our listeners to to get a sense of that. Well, a lot of my district, I represent about 90,000 people and my district is pretty rural. So there's uh, plenty of places that don't have access to broadband. And um, it's similar throughout the state. We have over 40% of our Kansans that don't have access to broadband as defined by the FCC and actually 25% of our Kansans that don't have access to broadband at all. Um, So we're really lagging, and it was an important issue for us to take up this session. Yeah, I was actually surprised. I know that across the nation, there's some places where even a county library may not have access, and that seems like something that that occurs occasionally in Arkansas. And I don't don't think a lot of people have a sense of that. Yeah, I I think it's interesting because um, there's a few things we've done really well in Arkansas. And, you know, one of them is providing broadband to all of our public schools, K through 12. So 99% of our public schools have high-speed broadband. And that was an initiative that our governor took on um, a little over four years ago. And we actually lead the nation in that. Um, And then we have a coding initiative that our governor also took on to put computer coding into classrooms K through 12. And we're leading the nation in that. Yet we're lagging so far behind. I believe we're last or next to last in access to broadband throughout the rest of the state. Right. And as our listeners um, will be familiar with, it's 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 varying tremendously within the state. We've done interviews with um, um, Randy Clint, who I believe is at um, Northern Ozarks Electric Cooperative, where they're and I'm, I could be mangling some things here, but but um, Ozarks go where where you may be in a rural area and you could have gigabit access. And, and like you're saying, you could be pretty close to there and maybe not even have anything above dial up. That's exactly right. You know, and it's not just true for our rural areas, but it's true for places within Little Rock, our state's capital, um, or right outside of a city. Um, You can have have access to broadband and hit a spot and not have it at all. And so it's not just true for our rural areas, but all kinds of places across the state. It's actually very interesting. 
And Arkansas is one of the states, um, we, we count about 20 in our analysis, that have limitations on the ability of local governments to provide service. And in Arkansas, uh, basically, municip- cities that have municipal electric utilities have, I think, more broad authority, and cities that, um, that did not have electric utilities really didn't have any authority. Um, and so you authored a bill to change that. And I'm curious if you can describe that to us, um, just your, your vision. To be honest, I worked with um, 21 other women. We actually, this session, um, had all of our Republican women legislators come together and um, just formed a caucus. And we called it Dream Big, which was uh, bold initiatives for the good of Arkansas. And we tried to find um, issues that weren't really Republican or Democrat issues, but they were Arkansas issues and problems that we needed to solve and solve quickly. And so we started talking about access um, to broadband and realized that Arkansas had one of the fifth strictest laws in the nation in regards to, like you mentioned, cities, municipalities, and counties being able to partner and to bring broadband to their area. And so as we started to dig deeper, we found that since 2015, um, there are three major companies in Arkansas that that have received $223 million in federal grant money to bring broadband to rural areas in Arkansas, um, but we weren't seeing any um, closing of the gap in service provided to Arkansans. And Mm -hmm. so we just decided, you know what, if um, they're not going to help solve the problem, then we're going to take matters into our own hands and we're going to lift the restriction and let municipalities, if they want to either partner um, with an internet service provider or go in on their own and apply for a lot of this federal grant money that's available right now um, to bring broadband to these areas. We started realizing how big the problem was and that it had not been solved and um, wanted to try to find a way to be aggressive in helping solve it. I like the way you put that that this is an Arkansas issue, not a, a left or a right issue. Um, because I was I was heartened when they um, when the federal government created the Reconnect Act, which was created by a Republican Congress and signed by um, Donald Trump, who's a Republican president of the United States, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and it, it expressly made um, grants available to cities um, whether they wanted to partner or do it themselves. And um, but there is a there is a history, I think of um, of at the local level, this is totally nonpartisan. At the state level, depending on the state, it can get partisan. And, and inside D.C., it actually is quite partisan. Um, and so was there any resistance I mean, you know, among your, your Republican colleagues saying, you know, we actually, um, you know, we're uncomfortable with giving cities this, this larger authority? So we did have a little bit of pushback and questions like that um, from a few members here and there just saying, you know, what does government even do well? So do we really want to allow government into another space? By and large, um, Republicans throughout the legislature were really on board with it. And I think the best way to be able to explain that shift is really because we've given um, private companies the opportunity for years now to solve the problem. And they haven't done so. And so I think we just realized, like, we sat back, we um, let these companies have the opportunity to solve this for us, and uh, we just we have to do something different. And so, yeah, I mean, we had that conversation, but we actually, to be honest, we didn't have a single person vote against this bill, Republican or Democrat. Um, just shows you how bipartisan it was and how frustrated all of us were with what was being done here in Arkansas. So it worked out well. 
Well, I want to talk a little bit about some of the motivations that have been ascribed. I've, there's, there's two modes of thought I've seen in, in newspaper articles and, and, and other forms of media covering this. And, and I want to get your reaction as I sort of describe them. Um, one is that a lot of uh, the people you're working with were motivated because of a frustration around um, the fact that Arkansas was the first to um, require a lot of Medicaid reporting online, and people were struggling to do that in some areas because of a, a lack of access. And then there was another article that claimed, really, I don't know if I should say it claimed, but it used as a motivation. It was talking about Netflix and being able to stream video um, as being a, a frustration that people didn't have access to that as much. And so you know, we've seen quite a different number of claims. That's why I wanted to talk to you to get a sense of, of, of what, what sort of things were you talking about among, along those lines. Uh, that's funny. I um, I haven't I didn't hear any of those uh, either of those comments directly um, as we were working through. I mean, I did hear mention of the Medicaid work requirement and having to sign up and do some stuff online. Um, but really, what we what we really heard were people just saying, you know, I had to help my child, uh, um, you know, turn in their college application, or we had to apply for their FAFSA online, um, and we had to go down the road. I have to sit down at the end of my gravel road to get Wi-Fi, you know, mm-hmm. or I tried to, you know, pull up an email for work and it took a week for that email to download. And, you know, I have to go into town and um, sit at the local McDonald's and pull up my work email there. And so I feel like there is in Arkansas anyways, we have so many rural communities and agriculture, you know, is what we're known for here in Arkansas and um, our top industry. And, we have our small communities that are, I feel like, begging begging for help from our state and just saying, you know, our community is slowly dying off. Our young people are moving off to find job and opportunity, and we want to still have a thriving small community. And to me, I just, I think that in the year 2019, we shouldn't have to choose between where we live and taking a job that requires us to send email. And so I think that what we heard back from our Kansans were like very practical things. Of course, like Netflix is a way of life for so many of us. It's what we, you know, what we do at night, find a good show. And so I think that, you know, of course, probably plays into some of the, you know, some of the frustrations. You can't even do basic things like watch a show on Netflix. And, but what we understand is broadband is a commodity and it's something just like water that we feel like we should have when we go into our home, you know, it's, and like I said, it wasn't just about rural Arkansas. It was about even, in the cities too. I have to, I always chafe when I hear people sort of almost dismissively using Netflix as uh, an issue in these um, discussions because whether or not your home has Netflix has thousands of dollars of implication in real estate values. I mean, it's it's a good proxy (laughs) actually for a lot of things regarding the health of a community. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the comments you made was uh, someone had said, you know, what, is, what does government do well? And, and uh, I'm someone who um, alternates between raging at poorly designed government programs and trying to praise others that uh, have, have really done a, a transformative um, job. Um, and so I, I'm curious because my vision of this is, is I think, like that of, of many Republicans um, and, frankly, I think most Democrats as well, um, which is that we don't want a government monopoly. We don't want any monopoly. We want some competition. And I wanted to ask you about that because it's something that came up a lot when you talked with um, with my colleague Lisa about this issue that um, the role that you wanted competition to play. You know, a lot of us would say that competition um, makes each other better. Um, and so I think the same applies here. 
as far as competition goes. And if any of us who have paid attention to the broadband issue, have read articles about census blocks and how, you know, one service provider is saying, well, we cover this area and this area is covered. Well, they're really maybe just serving one home or one business in that entire census block. So it really gives us a, a false idea of, you know, what our coverage map across Arkansas and across the nation actually looks like. And so, um, you know, I think a great example is we have a, a smaller town in, in Arkansas, um, Fairfield, it's called Fairfield Bay, and the mayor there, they just built a convention center. And it's a, a great community, um, but they don't have broadband. And um, I think it's hard to have a hotel and a convention center and ask people to come in uh, when they can't connect to the internet. The mayor there couldn't get anyone to um, partner up with him to bring broadband to that area. And so, like, I think that'd be a great, a great example when we talk about competition that, you know, there's no one there willing to serve that community. And so him partnering with someone to bring um, an internet, maybe a smaller internet service provider into his community um, then all of a sudden, um, some of the other internet service providers are jumping at the chance, saying, no, we'll, we'll come there. We'll bring uh, service out to you. And so it makes people, when they realize someone else is coming out that way or there's going to be competition, it, it makes people react. It makes them move and want to suddenly help solve an issue. When you uh, posted your bill, I'm sure it got some attention. And then I think your bill made it through the first committee um, without any um, changes to it, any amendments, and uh, unanimously. Uh, and then it had some significant um, revisions. And I'm I'm just curious if you can give us a sense of, of what the reaction was from particularly the three big companies you mentioned, the big telephone companies that have received um, almost a, a quarter of a billion dollars, I guess, <laughs> in, in over the last <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, but also that maybe the big cable companies, like what kind of a reaction did you get in general? From those companies, actually, the, the day that we announced our initiatives and that bill, um, I think I had every single one of them in my office that day, um, just talking through it and what it meant. And to be honest with you, they were actually great to work with. Um, and I just appreciated the back and forth that we were able to have. It was good conversation and good discussion about what we were doing and why, um, and just sort of getting them to at least be neutral on the bill. But some of the changes that we did make um, resulted in, I would say, unintended consequences from the bill. And so um, I just kind of talked about the K through 12 um, initiative, bringing broadband to all of our public schools. Um, and there was some language in there that we had stricken originally that impacted our Department of Information Services that um, worked with all the schools and even the higher ed, um, our higher ed um, institutions have their own network as well across the state. And so striking some of that language impacted that and that was not our intent. And so some of the amendments that we made were sort of to like fix some of those things. We wanted to make sure that we were targeted in what we were doing. I mean, our purpose was just that underserved or unserved areas would be able to get uh, the coverage. Um, and so other things that were happening within that bill, and even you mentioned some of the companies that like we're already grandfathered in like um, electrical companies in certain communities and stuff. So we wanted to like make sure we kept that stuff as it was. We weren't trying to mess with too many things. We were very specific in our purpose and wanted to really keep that vision and move that way. 
one of the as I read it, your initial bill would have um, aside from the unintended consequences, which I'll admit I, I paid less attention to because sure. I'm, I'm hyper focused <laughs> on municipal networks. But I, I I very much appreciate the importance of the committee process to work those things out, and uh, I, I deplore when states and the federal government fail to to do that due diligence. So I'm glad that that was caught. Mm-hmm. Um, but it originally basically would have given cities um, um, total authority. You would have had no restrictions. Which which is um, what we mm-hmm. what we support at the Institute for Local Self Reliance, um, and what most states have. Um, and you ended up with a bill in which um, I believe still the um, the municipalities that have electric utilities have broad authority. Um, now the cities that um, don't have municipal electric utilities, I believe they have to get a grant in order to be able to to build or to partner. Um, and, and and I'm curious, was that something that you saw then as a as a compromise, or given that you wanted to make sure you were very competitive in receiving the the grants was that your aim to uh to limit in that way yeah that was more our, our aim to limit it that way the lead sponsor on the house end and um, representative dean bought her and i just had a lot of um conversations between each other just saying okay you know we have groups leaning on us asking us to amend this or that and um and so we just talked back and forth like all right at the end of this, we are not going to give. We think we have the support to get this through as it is right now, um, as it was originally before any amendments. You know, we believed that we had that support, um, but we wanted to, like I just spoke about the unintended consequences, but we wanted to make sure that we kept our vision um, for the bill and what we wanted it to do. So I would say I don't, you know, we don't feel like we compromised and we feel like we really um, honed in a little bit more on the vision and our intent for the bill. And we really wanted, because it still does say on its own or in partnership with a private entity, um, yes, then apply for that grant or loan money. And that's what we wanted our cities and counties to do is go after that grant money that's out there. And so that was really um, our push towards that direction. Well, I want to I wanna finish up by noting that there's, I think, a very bright future for a lot of rural Arkansas because of um, just a lot of co-ops. A lot of the electric co-ops are making really smart investments. Um, I'm very hopeful that uh, that we see Arkansas leapfrogging. Um, you know, I think there's a history um, it, it perpetuated by media often that Arkansas is um, is something something maybe wrong with it or something like that. I have an uncle that lives there. I've loved my visits to Arkansas. It's beautiful. So, um, oh, so I definitely um, I hope that this works out in the way that that uh, you're hoping. I hope you get some of these reconnect funds. And you know, we're of course going to be um, watching this and making sure that you know different. Um, part of government entities that, you know, need to be reaching out to our municipalities do so. And, you know, if this bill didn't go far enough, then it's something that I think we're definitely willing to revisit um, in the next legislative session um, to make sure that this is getting done for our Kansans. I have to say that for those of us who have been working on this, and and as you've seen, no, there's no partisanship at the local level. I'm very glad to see that in Arkansas, um, at the state level, that you're able to work, you know, sort of pragmatically on it as well. And I, I hope that that's infectious to other states. Yes, I do too. It was um, really a great session, and I love the results that we got on it. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I enjoyed being on. Thanks for having me. That was Arkansas State Senator Brianne Davis discussing her bill, SB 150, which reduces some of the barriers to local broadband network projects. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. 
Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to episode 356 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>